Hello and welcome to Total Recall ASM 19 on the Word on the Go podcast. Throughout this series we're going to be bringing you all the talks and seminars from this year's festival. We hope you enjoy. Okay, we might might make a start if that's okay with you. Welcome to uh, this afternoon, uh, the seminar here. do you scooch back a little bit, Paul, and then I can see us all there. Uh, it is great. Uh, it's great to have you with us here. It's great to, for another um, full tent um, for our seminar today. Uh, and uh, my name is Tom. I uh, I have been here helping at the hatch for for the weekend for Summer Madness. I actually grew up coming to Summer Madness. I became a Christian in Summer Madness when I was 16. Um, so it's great to be uh, be here and be back because I actually haven't been here for about 10 years because 10 years ago I moved to Dublin and I'm a youth worker in Dublin. Uh, and, uh, and about five years ago, I kind of took a little bit, I'm still doing youth work, but I took a bit of a sidestep and I'm also uh, a counselor now, and kind of a trained therapist in that way. And kind of, so working part-time still with young people in a church and the other, half of my time working with this little thing called why mind where uh, we were talking about the importance of understanding why our minds work the way that they do and why actually understanding the way our mind is set up and the things that our mind um, does the decisions that we make and why we make the decisions that we make can actually affect the decisions and, and how we do but also the importance it's, it's important that why it's important that we mind our mental health and that our mental health i really think is something that we as christians should be and um, should be engaged with and should be thinking about because uh, because we love best whether that be god or whether that be one another from a place of of actually health whether that be body whether that be spirit or whether that be be our minds so actually helping people engage with those questions around around mental health uh, which is a little bit about what we're going to be doing today so you're going to hear from me in a bit but first my friend paul here is going to take us through our first bit welcome Although Tom already said welcome. Um, what day are we on? Day four? Who is just exhausted? <laughs> and I'm not even sleeping in a tent. <laughs> um, yeah, like Tom said, my, my name's Paul Keegan. Um, my wife actually runs this this um, space, the Hatch, a mental health space. Um, can I just say, this is hugely encouraging to see this many people here. Because when I asked Susie what kind of numbers should we expect, she was like, maybe about 10. It's not, it's not that big a venue, so it's absolutely amazing to, again, see this many people come to want to engage their faith and understand more mental health and how the two coexist. Um, just say a little bit more about myself. I have around 15-ish years of youth work experience based around Dublin. and um, That's included roles that are uh, volunteer, some of it was paid. I used to work as a youth worker for quite a while. And um, more recently, it's been involved in mentoring and dis- discipling and, and training a number of uh, youth leaders around Dublin, which has been an amazing experience. Um, me and Tom kind of copied each other, and then Tom got ahead of me. Um, of We both trained together to be counsellors. Tom went a little bit further than I am. In September, I'm copying him by going to the exact course he did and getting the exact qualification he did because there's no way I'm going to let Tom be better than me. (laughs) The other thing I've been really recently involved in, so counselling with teenagers, young adults, students in in the Dublin area, also trying to help equip youth leaders so that they understand mental health better and we can have a better impact on that within the church. And I hope that expands beyond youth leaders into church leaders, into church elders, the dynamics, how we as church meet the mental health needs of people in Ireland and what I want you to do uh, the topic that we're talking on here is I can't remember the exact title so Tom if I get it wrong it's because I'm tired and you can correct me it's the idea of uh, how do we what do we say when we don't know what to say Um, so how do we talk about our mental health but then equally how do we listen to someone when they share about their mental health because that can be really um, scary and intimidating they might say something you're not sure what to do with so my role is I'm going to be talking about how do we talk about our mental health and then later in, in the session I hand it over to Tom and Tom facilitates the part of then how do we listen um, what I'd like you to do to get us all in the right mind space is turn to the person next year or the little group next year I just want you to have a short discussion about what does mental health look like me and Tom used to have a teacher who um She used to say, and she was referring to love and how we care for people, but love looks like something. Um, So I'm looking for more than just, don't don't just discuss 
like the basic what is mental health what does it look like for you what does mental health feel like for you what does good mental health look like what does bad mental health look like i'm just going to leave you for two minutes just to have that chat and and see where you're all at in that way go ahead and have a nice chat (laughs) okay everyone I learned long ago in youth work that just saying shh into a microphone actually makes a whole room go quiet. It's really cool. Um, me, me and Tom were kind of just chatting there really quickly. Um, we're not going to bring bring any feedback back just because it's such a big group. Um, but the idea of that little conversation was just to try get us all into the mind space. And I'm going to share a little about my own mental health, especially when I was a teenager. I'm going to try move a little bit forward to see if that helps with that sound. Um... There's a saying that, hang on one second. Can you, they're just going to see if they can do anything about leveling out the sound. Unfortunately, there's two seminars going on at once. We're always going to be working against each other. Um, I love that nowadays we have a mental health week. Um, I never listen to the radio, but for some reason during mental health week, I do. I love hearing people's conversations about what mental health looks like to them, what their story. There's often a lot of courage. I love the fact that in people exploring their mental health, they really go on this journey of figuring out who am I and what's happening? Why do I feel this way? And so I want to share a story about my own past in this. But, but the reason it ties in with the mental health week is do you ever see that saying, and I know a seminar was actually on this yesterday, it's okay to not be okay. Um, hands up who's heard that saying before. I want to make it clear, I really like that saying. I really agree with that saying. Um, but truthfully, I find that saying incredibly triggering. The reason being is that when I struggled with my mental health, my problem wasn't that I thought didn't think it was okay. My problem was I didn't know how to talk about it. And that saying when it's used is so often followed with a prompting that come talk about it. And that's a good prompting to have, but it was incredibly painful when I was like, I don't know how. I don't feel good, I don't feel okay, and I don't know what to do with that feeling. Um, I'm gonna tell you my story. Well, actually, no, I'm going to tell you a little bit of my story. We're not going to stay here all day. (laughs) Um, Me and Tom actually discussed before doing this, should I go into this story? Because it's not awkward, but it's personal and it's deep. And I didn't want to make people feel uncomfortable. And the conclusion we came to is going, that's sometimes what discussing mental health looks like. That sometimes it is a little uncomfortable. Sometimes heavy stuff is said. And so we decided, let's put it in there and actually embrace this is what mental health looks like. When I was in fourth year, um, which I know the school system works different here, so in, in Dublin, I would have been the, it would have been the start of me studying for my leaving cert. Um, when I was in fourth year, I would have been about 16, and I, I was always like a happy, nice, funny, friendly guy. Like, that's always who I was. I've always been real patient and really calm. Um, I've always told people I have a really uneventful childhood, and I'm very thankful for it. Um, because I realized as I grew older, not everyone had a stable family background. So my mum and dad still together, great parents. I have an older brother who now is married with two kids. I have a a slightly younger sister um, who does stuff as well, but doesn't have kids and a wife or a husband. Um, But like my family's, there's been no no drama, no trauma, no difficult childhood story. We just had always a really good family. Um, And I've always felt real privileged that that was part of what happened with me. But basically one day when I was 16, I went into school and for no reason felt horrifically bad. Just really low, really depressed. I'd never felt that way before. And it was really confusing because nothing had happened. This feeling just came out of nowhere. I suddenly just didn't feel right. And the next day went to school and actually felt fine again. I was like, well, that was weird. But I was okay maybe just a bad day and then about a month later it happened again but this time a little worse and a little longer and then it went away again and i was like cool and then a little bit later it came back but longer and then a little bit later it came back but longer and by the end of the year i just suddenly for no reason i could explain just felt awful just felt really low really unhappy really miserable and could not figure out why and in the midst of this People noticed I wasn't doing so well, but if they asked, how are you doing? I was like, fine, I don't, I don't get this. Um, 
basically, the longer I fought with this, the worse it got. Because what started happening was I started going, okay, I need to get happy again. So I started going to all the things that made me happy. And when they didn't work, I started getting angry because I was like, I can't figure this out. Why am I happy and why isn't this working? And unfortunately, this anger started getting projected at people. So friends that I used to hang out with that I had a good time with because I couldn't figure this out in my head. Suddenly I was like, this is your fault because you guys made me happy and now I'm not happy. So it, mu it must be your fault. And during this time, and this is a weird addiction to have, I've always been into computer games, still really love computer games. I have a healthy relationship with them now. But at that time, because I was feeling so miserable, I started spending so much money on games going, you know what, these made me happy in the past. Maybe this one will make me happy. Maybe this will make me feel better. And as this progressed, it kept getting worse and worse. I was getting angry. I was getting um, really hurt, but also hurtful. I'd lash out at other people. Um, I can remember I lost my appetite altogether. I'd literally eat based on, well, it's dinner time. I haven't eaten today. I should probably go get dinner. And then that evening, I haven't eaten again. I should probably go get food now. Um, I really struggled to sleep. It's the only time in my life where I truly, and I'm sure it could be worse, but it's the only time in my life where I truly describe it as hopeless. Um, I can remember lying in bed going, I don't know how to stop this. I don't know how to fix this. And it's probably the most alone I've ever felt. And what ended up happening, um, and this is where the spiritual element starts coming into it, but then let me correct the story a bit after it. Um, I wasn't a Christian. I would have been about 17, 18 at this stage. And a good friend of mine who was, a few of my friends were, invited me on a weekend away. And... Um, if I'm really honest with you guys, I don't mean to offend anyone. I am a Christian now. My honest thoughts on it at the time was, okay, you guys believe in fairy tales. Awesome. Um, whatever you're into. And I can remember on the last night of this camp, the leader of our group was like, I just want you to go take a bit of time and pray for something you know you want. And so I sat down and was like, I just want to be happy. Um, and it was weird. That night, like a peace came over me. And the next day felt really good and because of that i was like okay god's obviously done something i need to know more about him now it would be fantastic if my story ended there it doesn't and it would be fantastic if it was that simple if you just went god make me happy and he'll fix it but for a year i genuinely was at peace i was happy i was back to my old self and um, during this time because of what i'd seen i was like i'm going to get involved in church and a youth group um, that youth group is actually the one that I eventually got employed as their youth worker. But basically at this time, about a year later, um, kind of out of nowhere, also slightly prompted by a relationship problem I was having at the time, it all came back and came back quick. And this time came back worse because last time I fought for ages and lost, that this time around I was like, there's no point in fighting this depression's got me it's going to beat me and it's going to beat me just like it did last time so i nose dove i like plummeted got way worse than before much more anger and this time anger really directed at god and um, still a friend still a people around me but directed at god because i was like you fixed this before why aren't you fixing it now if you are loving why am i going through this i will answer those questions a little bit later because I did get some level of an answer to them but basically at this point in my life I I got way worse than before I could not handle it anymore and started lashing out at anyone around me um oddly enough at this time I was also getting trained to be a youth leader in my youth group um weird combo and my youth leaders at the time were a couple called Alex and Linda Gason, which if you ever get the opportunity to meet them, they're based down in Cork now. They're fantastic people. Um, but basically, it all came to a head one night when we were at youth group and I was leading games and it wasn't going so well. And Linda really kindly came in beside me and tried to help me lead games. And completely uncalled for, I responded by just being really rude and aggressive and lashing out at her. Um, it was something she did not deserve and something I should not have done. And so I, I, that night just kind of ended and it was fine. And then on Monday morning, I got a text from Alex going, hey, I think you and me should meet up. And the moment I read the text, I was like, 
okay, this ain't good. <laughs> I'm in trouble. And so I had this stupid plan in my head, which made no sense, but made all the sense in the world at the time, where I was like, if I just act like everything's cool, this will all blow over. So Alex invited me over to his house. I can remember walking up and ringing the doorbell and Alex opening the door and me thinking like, if I just act like everything's cool and there's no big deal, this will be fine. And Alex is like, we should go chat in the living room. And I go into the living room, open the door and Linda's sat there on a couch. I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, this isn't going to be good. So I can remember it really clearly. And Alex and Linda sat together on one couch and I sat on another. And mentally in my head, I don't know if you've ever done this, I could picture the gigantic stone wall that I built in front of me for this moment going, they're about to give out to me and attack me and I'm going to make sure this does not hurt. But fully accepting it, this was over. So I sat there and I was ready for what I knew was coming of Alex going, you're out of line. You cannot do this. You cannot behave this way and expect to still be involved in the youth group and welcome here as a leader. And so I sat down and waited for Alex to say this. And Alex just turned to me, I have not successfully told this story without getting emotional, so please forgive me. Alex just turned to me and just went, I love you. And honestly, I felt like a bullet hit me. And the wall crumbled. And I, like, I just did not expect that response. And I was sitting there going, I don't know what to say back to that. And he continued and he's like, I have no idea what you're going through, but I can tell you're in pain. And he was like, if you want to talk about it, I'm here and I will always be here. But beyond that, there's nothing more I can do. And I can remember sitting there in silence going, I don't know what to do with this. And so he made me an offer and he said, we can meet every week and just chat about how you're doing. And let's just ask, how's your week been? What's going on for you? What made it good? What made it bad? But he did something really important. He said, I'm not going to force this. He did the most important thing he could if he gave control back to me. He was like, you have to want this. I'm not going to force you to talk, but if you want to talk, I am here. And in the moment, I tried to go, yeah, I want that. And he said, wait. He's like, just wait and think about it. So I waited a day and I text him going, Alex, I want that. I don't know what's going on, but I, I'm alone and I need help. Um, so what ended up happening was me and Alex met every week, really consistently for a couple of months, and just talked about how I was getting on, how I was feeling, what those feelings meant, where they might be coming from. We asked questions like, do you need to go see a counselor? He actually got me to check out with my doctor and just make sure I was okay. Um, But what ended up happening was over the weeks, we started to actually start getting deeper. I started to understand, hey, this is what's happening. To answer a few of those questions going, where was God in this? What had happened? Basically, what had happened is I never realized it, but I grew up with a belief system that was terrible. Um, My dad's a good dad, but he's not the best at showing love and affection. And on top of that, my dad and my older brother have loads in common. And I have nothing in common with my dad. And so because of that, through no fault of anyone, I started to grow up believing I'm not valuable. Um, It was just a subconscious belief system. I believed that I was not worthy of love. And so all this started getting resolved through me just trying to explore my feelings. I started to understand that's what was causing my depression. When I look back on that moment where God took the depression away from me and I realized that's not something he does for everyone, I realized that was God giving me a rest. And the reason it came back was because God God looked at me and really believed, I love you too much to let you believe that about yourself. This stuff needs to come out and needs to get dealt with. And I'm so thankful I found a loving place, that I, a loving and safe place that I could let that out. And before I hand over to Tom, there's a few really important parts in that story of um, my friends did try to help. And I'm really thankful for some of them who are still some of my closest friends, despite my, despite my aggressive nature at the time, really stuck by me and had no idea what to say. One of the other important things that I, I felt was really important to say is sometimes my friends said the wrong thing. And it wasn't through them not loving me it wasn't through them not caring it was them just trying to help and not knowing what to say but trying their best to be loving and there for me I remember um a year later I asked Alex that moment on the couch I was like why didn't you give out to me I deserved to be given out to 
And he paused for a sec trying to think how to articulate his thought. But his answer was just, because I knew that's what God would have done. I knew that's what Jesus would have done, is he would have responded with love, not with anger, not with frustration, not with telling you where you should and shouldn't be, but to just let you know you're loved. Um, I'm going to hand it over to Tom now. Um, and just in case you're you're wondering at the end of the story, I still don't really know how to talk about feelings and stuff. We're going to introduce a few tools and things to help do that as we go on. But uh, Tom's going to fill you in a little bit on what it might have felt like to be one of my friends or to be Alex in that scenario. Um, Tom, over to you. Thank you for listening. <laughs> So I, uh, I said start, I haven't been at Summer Madness for a good while, and I haven't really been in Belfast for a while either. And one of the, the things I've loved about these last four or five days here at Summer Madness is actually the chance to, the, the amazing thing is that a lot of the youth workers who actually poured into me when I was young, when I was like 14 to 20, have actually been here. There's two guys that I've seen around the place and I've been chatting to over the last uh, couple of days and haven't talked to them in a good while about life and deep, sort of those deep things, but being able to have those conversations with some great youth workers that really poured into me over that time. Um, it's been lovely to see them. But what's also been great is that some peers of mine, so people that I grew up going to Summer Madness with, are also here and yesterday I, I sat underneath one of those big trees over there uh, at a picnic bench and talked to a friend of mine called Laura who works for Ballystone Youth for Christ I don't know if anyone's uh, anyone ever come across Laura uh, do you guys know Laura no you don't sorry yeah I thought you were like oh, that's us yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway but uh, but she is someone that who has been in my life since I was 14 15 and being able to sit under that tree and catch up with her and talk about the good things that have happened in the last number of years, but also the difficult things, the trials that we've faced. We did uh, kind of this, pretty much a carbon copy of this, uh, this talk uh, on Saturday uh, in the CIYD venue with leaders, because what's important is that we as leaders know actually how to listen and how to talk to you guys um, whenever you come to us and want to talk to us about the lives that you live and the struggles or the issues that you might face and um, because we want to be equipped and we want to be able to to meet you and listen to you well but the reality is that uh, that I know as much as you do that sometimes leaders are difficult to talk to because we because uh, there might be who knows there's a there's a whole myriad of reasons why we don't want to talk to leaders and the people who are actually the easiest people to talk to or the people that we maybe want to talk to are each other and people our own age, people that we know are in the same shoes as us, who are going through the same things as us. But maybe you are sitting there being like, that's great, it's good that we know to talk to each other, but sometimes the things that we go through are pretty big, are pretty heavy, There's, uh, there, we can feel overwhelmed by the stories that we're hearing. And so what we wanna do this next little while is think about, okay, we want to, yes, we wanna to talk to youth leaders, we wanna to talk to safe, good adults in our lives, but also how can we, you guys, as each other's friends, peers, be a support and really be that listening ear for one another um, without feeling the pressure of having to rescue or save each other from our, our difficult situations, but actually be there in a way that, that we know we love one another and that we're there to hear and listen. Um, we all like to think that we're good listeners, don't we? We like to think that we have good listening skills. I thought we'd do, uh, we'll do a quick exercise here if you're up for that with me. So I'd like you to, uh, in groups of two, what I want you to do is turn to someone else. And I want you to pick one person in that group of two who's gonna be the, the person who's speaking. And I want that person to tell the other person, so tell the listener, uh, let's say, I want you to tell the listener what your favorite or ideal meal is. So uh, starter, main course, dessert. And what I want, so I want the person, you're, we're gonna do it for about 90 seconds. What I'd like the person who's talking to do is to just talk. I want the listener not to talk, not to interrupt, not to, uh, not to, to say anything, but just listen. And I want, what I'm gonna ask you a question afterwards, is I want you to show in as many ways as you can that you're listening. So we're thinking kind of what are those ways that we listen? How do we show that we're listening? Does that make sense? So talker, free reign to talk, tell them about your favorite meal, go for it.
Okay, I'm gonna bring you back. I'm gonna bring you back. So, are you listening to me while I'm bringing you back? <laughs> does work. Does work. So, uh, I would love to ask you what your what the ideal meals were, but come and tell me afterwards. But what I do want to hear is what were some of the signs that. Uh, so people who were being listened to, what were some of the ways that the people who were... No, yeah. What were some of the ways that we can show good listening? So people who were talking, how did you feel listened to? Yeah. Eye contact, very good. And I love that you projected your voice because I could... Like, eye contact. And, sorry? Nodding, yeah. You're a good nod. I like that you nod. Give it an example there. Nodding, eye contact. Anything else? Say it again, sorry. Tilted the head towards you, so body language like focused on you. Great. Anything else? Any others? So lots of different ways that we can show that we're listening with our eyes, with our bodies, that we're showing that that uh, that we are really hearing the person. And um, we're going to do it again. And what I would like you to do is so the other person talk now, and and the person who was talking first is going to be the listener. I want you to talk about, uh, so I want you to answer this question. I want you to tell the person your opinion on whether you think Batman is a superhero or not. But here's what I want you to do. I want uh, the person who is listening to now this time show in as many ways as you possibly can that you are not listening. So, so I want you to show as many ways as possible. Okay, off you go. Okay, I'm going to bring you back. <laughs> okay, uh, listen up, guys. I'm going to bring you back because that was definitely louder and we're, we're next door. So uh, what were, that's one of, I was saying to them the other day, that's one of my favorite things to like sit and watch happening because it just looks like chaos. Um, and half of the room is talking intently and the other half is off doing it. What were you doing? What were, what were ways that you felt not listened to there? You were getting tickled? All right. <laughs> Do you know what? I've done this many times. That's a new one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, any any other ways? Do you have your hand up? Doing something else, playing on their phone, yeah, yeah. No eye contact. Were you lying down on the ground like that? Oh, okay. <laughs> Anything else? Talking over them, yeah, yeah. Looking bored, yeah, yeah, great. Anything else? Any other ways? Yeah, so lots of different ways that we can uh, feel. Did anyone, like, I've, I've done this before, and, like, there was two people that were talking, and the two people that were meant to be listening turned to each other and started having a conversation with each other in that way. So, so when we think about listening, um, hopefully, we, when we think about our own listening skills and how we listen to each other, hopefully we are not as bad as some of the ways that we were doing in the, the bad listening, that we're not necessarily off with the fairies or we're not turning and talking to someone else. But we as people generally, uh, we're not the bad listeners, but we're not always those intent good listeners that we'd like to be. A few reasons why we're not or what makes it difficult to listen sometimes. The first thing is that we are people who really quite like ourselves and we quite like the sound of our own voice. I don't know if you ever feel like that. So what happens to me sometimes if something funny happens or if I want to tell a story about something that happened to me, what I'll, if I'm having a conversation with someone, maybe what I'll do is while someone's talking, I'll be, kind, I'll be listening to them, but I'll be listening to them for like the hook that I can then be like, oh, here's something, here's my piece that I can add to this conversation, or here's my story. Or else if I'm listening to them, what I'm maybe doing more is listening to them to figure out, okay, what am I gonna say next? What's my next sentence gonna be? What's, what's a piece of information I can bring to this discussion? Maybe we're, we're, we find we're good at listening, but we're good at listening for ourselves rather than actually being there for the person that is sitting in front of us. There's this guy, that guy called um, Dan Siegel, uh, not like Siegel, 
the bird. That was a bird. I don't know if that looked like a bird. <laughs> Mime is my skill. Uh, anyway, uh, he is a, this researcher in America, and he talks about the things that we as, as humans need. Paul's going to talk a bit more about that in a minute. But, but there's four things that we need, especially at your age, the things that you need to kind of grow up into emotionally healthy people. And those are the needs to feel safe, to feel seen, to feel soothed, and to feel secure safe seen soothed and secure and um, we are people that need those things and the thing is that that being heard and being really listened to really helps us feel all those things because we feel seen we feel like someone is actually listening to us someone sees who we are they sees that they see the the truth about what we're saying they're not just listening so that they can add their next thing they feel soothed because the science shows actually when we have that personal uh, connection with someone in a conversation it actually does something in our, our minds that that soothes us we feel safe because actually we we have a place where we feel like we can talk and secure because um, because we have that that secure foundation that we know that we're safe that we're listened to the thing that I love about those four words is that we can a lot we can be that for each other be a place where we can feel safe seen soothed and secure it's very dramatic and um, but we can also uh we as as people maybe i'm i'm a christian and and maybe you are as well but we um, can also know a god who allows us to feel safe seen soothed and secure not just right now not just for tomorrow not just for next month but Actually, he can offer us those things for all time. Uh, the God that we follow is a God who sees people individually, who sees us for the person that we are. There's that verse where, where it talks about he knows how many hairs are on our very head. He knows me as an individual. The other day we talked uh, at this seminar, we talked about our fingerprints and how they're all unique. Each one of us has this unique makeup. Um, of ourselves and God knows us he knows that uniqueness we're seen by him um, he sees us and he makes us feel safe when maybe we don't feel like there's any other um, safety in that way we think about the story of Zacchaeus in the tree and he was not someone that felt seen or valued or or even heard by anyone in society because he was shunned by them and yet what did Jesus do strolling along the street there was plenty of people to talk to down there but he looked up into the tree and he said Zacchaeus I'm coming to your house uh, I see you and in that act of helping him feel seen actually Zacchaeus was then able to have that secure ground to build that that new life so so we are people who actually whenever we're offered that space where we feel seen where we feel like we are given that safe secure land to stand on that we um we're valued and um, listening is also hard uh, because we make assumptions about what everyone else's life is like do you remember uh, a few years ago this dress that went around the internet my uh, my ipad isn't that great for light do you remember this dress that went around and um, put your hand up if you think that dress is black and blue yeah okay hands all the way up Put your hand up, uh, and put your hand down now. Put your hand up now if you think this dress is white and gold. Yeah. So the thing is, yeah. So here's the thing. This dress, I see it as white and gold because that is, it's white as the driven snow and it's gold. That's what I see. And yet, for half of you here in this room, you look at that dress and you say, Tom, you're insane. That dress, yeah, you're like, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, what you see is black and blue. See, the things that I see from my perspective, I know that I see that as white and gold. And if I didn't ask you that question, how do you see this dress? I would just make the assumption, oh, well, you must see that as white and gold. You must see that in the same way. Uh, and yet, you don't... Is there... Is there any way that we could turn that down a little bit? I don't know. Sorry. Um, sorry. I'm just trying to get that turned down a little bit. Uh, we, we make assumptions about the way other people see the world, about the way we see our situations, the lives that we're in, that other people see it in the same way as us. 
sorry, I'm a bit thrown by that. Um, and so what we need to do is actually make sure that we're on the same page with people. If I'm sitting with someone and listening to them, and I am already sort of five steps ahead in saying, oh, well, I know what they're, what they're saying. So I'm a, I'm a therapist. I see people in the room when they come in to see me. And what I sometimes do is when someone comes into the room, they tell me a little bit of their story. And sometimes I'll be like in my head, I know where this is going. I know, I know the issues that they're going to bring. I know the stories that they're going to tell. I kind of know the problem that they're going to have. And then actually what comes out is something completely different, something that I never expected to come out maybe. Um, and yet, if I had just gone along with my original assumption and the thing that I thought they were going to say, without taking the time to stop and actually hear them and listen and say, is this, um, sorry, uh, is, this, uh, is this really the truth here? Is this what is going on for them? Then I would just be five steps ahead. What we need to do is actually make sure that we're on the same page as the person. Make sure that we're seeing the dress the color that they see it, um, rather than just assuming that everyone's on the same page. Another thing why it's hard to listen is because we find it hard to share with each other. And sometimes it can be awkward uh, or difficult to hear other people's stories because maybe, maybe, I don't know if you feel like sometimes whenever someone shares something that we don't actually know what to say and we don't know uh, what to say in response to someone's, uh, someone's problems or the issues that they bring. Um, um, you might say, I actually don't really want to ask the question about how someone is, because if they are to say something, I don't know what I would say back. I don't know what, I, might, I don't have any answers, so I don't, know, I don't know what I could say to them. What I'll, I'll sometimes say about that is that, um, is there anyone here who's, who's trained as a first aider? Is there anyone who has first aid training? Yeah, I always like, it's always funny whenever I ask that question and people are like, oh no, he's gonna get me to volunteer for something. Um, but the thing is for, for you guys who are first aiders, I think you're fantastic. I, uh, first aid is a great thing on camps and feel sorry for first aiders when they're like pulled out of bed at three in the morning to go to someone's sick bedside. But what I, we as other people don't expect for you as first aiders is we don't expect first aiders to be able to, uh, to, if someone has broken their leg of a first aider, I don't say, well, that first aider needs to be able to put that leg in a cast. They need to be able to take that person into the hospital. They need to be able to operate on that leg. They need to be able to uh, make sure, or like bring that person back to full health. No, we don't expect that a first aider will have all the answers. The, what we expect of a first aider is two things really, that they'll make sure that person is safe in that moment. And then if necessary, that they'll pass on that person to someone who does know what they're doing, who does know how to help that person, how to bring them on. I think in our society, in our world, we need to start thinking about mental health, uh, first aid in that way as well. Because so often when someone says, I'm anxious or I'm struggling with depression, we think, oh, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't have the answers. I don't know what to, how to fix it. And we almost like stop there and we put our fingers in our ears, not literally, but we maybe pretend like we don't see or we we don't engage with someone because we're afraid and rightly so because we don't we don't know everything we don't know what to do and yet maybe we can reframe it and say actually what is my responsibility as a friend my responsibility as a friend is not to rescue it's not to completely save that person from from what they're struggling with but what would it be like if we were to say okay my responsibility is to make sure that person feels safe in the moment make sure that actually if that person needs some someone needs someone to sit with them needs someone to listen to them that i could do that i can be that person and then if we say you know what actually this is a little bit beyond me encouraging that person to maybe go and talk to a leader or a parent or a teacher youth worker someone else or else maybe even if they don't want to and you say this is going on a little bit maybe even you going and letting someone know not telling on them not tattling but maybe just saying actually i love my friend and i care for them i think that reframing of that we don't need to be people who have all the answers we don't need to fix everything but um but we want to be people who are uh, who are caring and listening to our friends in the way that they are
Um, our job is not to heal the people around us. Our job is not to fix the people around us, but our job is maybe to be good friends to them and the friends that we know uh, that they deserve and that we deserve as well. There's this, uh, there's this great woman called Brene Brown. Has anyone ever heard of Brene Brown? She is a, uh, she's actually a, a shame researcher and vulnerability researcher in America. She has a great Netflix special at the minute. It's a weird like thing for her to have, but she's fantastic. It's called, I think it's called A Call to Courage. So if you have Netflix, take a look at Brene Brown. Um, very funny. Uh, and she's a Christian woman, actually. Um, but what she says is that vulnerability is really hard. And it's really difficult to be open and to share with the people around us. But she has this, this great phrase where she says, vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And so actually, you know, if we have a group of friends and, and we're all there and we, no one's sharing and no one's saying who or what's really going on inside, it's really difficult to be that first person who's going to open up, who's going to share. But actually, if we could be that little bit courageous, if we could maybe open up a little bit of a window into our lives, what that can do is actually give permission for everyone else to be, uh, be that little bit more open in a group. Um, it can be difficult to be that one person who is going to take that step into being vulnerable with one another. And yet I think that's what we as, as people of faith are called to. We're called to being a family of faith that is there for one another, that is supporting one another, that really is the body of Christ, that we are there for one another. Um, it can be difficult to know, okay, well, what am I gonna share? Do you know you're saying, Tom, that's great. Call to courage, let's share, let's talk with one another. But actually, it can be difficult to know, well, what should I say? Uh, am I just going to blurt out? So here's all my stuff. Um, because that can be difficult as well. And so Paul's going to tell us about this very short, simple exercise that, that maybe we can do. Um, we taught it to your leaders, uh, some of your leaders maybe, um, the other day. And so maybe they will use it in the future. But even now, we're going to have a chance to practice it now. Uh, and so actually, I'll let Paul finish because I'm doing his bit. <laughs> Okay, so before that, I'm going to tell another deeply personal... No, I'm not going to tell a deep personal story. Um, let me just grab this. Tom's going to be my um, overhead projector slash screen. Um, so we're actually going to end on, the, on this exercise. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to hand out pe uh, pens and paper. And um, there's, pa there's pens already on some of the tables, but we got more. Um, this is a tool that me and Tom, you don't have to hand. No, no, don't, don't worry about it yet because it'll just be distracting us. Um, what I'm going to get you to do is draw four tanks um, on each of the sheets. And I'm going to explain what each of the tanks are for. So this is a tool that me and Tom were given really early in our career as counselors. It's actually one of the first tools we, we were offered and shown how to use. And it's actually a tool that I still use really consistently. And if I'm really honest, if I'm trying, if I'm having... If I'm trying to figure myself out, if there's a lot going on, it's actually a tool I still sit down and personally use. It's based off the work of a man called um, Dr. William Glasser. And he, he's known in the psychology world as one of the leading experts on understanding what are our basic human needs. Um, I explained this in the leader's tent, but when I told a friend about this, he was actually already familiar with it. And he was like, aren't there five human needs, not four? There are five I, I'm assuming you all knew that, that there was like, oh yeah, there's five, that's really obvious. Um, the fifth one, I'm gonna start on that, is actually survival. And we don't actually put this on this tool because your basic survival needs are ones that you are very, very aware of if they're not being met. Um, so for example, your basic survival needs are things like, am I healthy? If you're not healthy or if you've broken your leg, you don't need to sit down with a little chart going, what am I feeling right now? You know what you're feeling. Um, the other things are like, do I have enough food? Do I have shelter? Do I have a warm bed? I gave this example the other day of I'm very sure a lot of you are very aware this weekend that you don't have a comfortable warm bed when you go back to your tent. Um, so we that one's purposely left off. And it's taken as a point of privilege that um, some people don't come from that background, but thankfully in the environment we're in, most people probably do. And if they don't, it's, it's hopefully something that's being addressed or people are aware of. So going into the other four, 
I'm going to start with, so you're going to mark one of your tanks as fun. And that's, we have a basic human need for fun. We have to laugh. We have to enjoy ourselves. We have to have hobbies. We have to do things that we just find enjoyable. And the idea that we get to go out together and all of it, like have a joke together, laugh at something together, do something entertaining. And um, that that's not wasted time. There are some people that actually find it really hard to have fun. Um, the next one, freedom. Freedom can be, there's two ways of coming at this. So freedom is the idea that you guys all have so many choices. Like as a basic one, you had a choice. Did you want to come to the seminar today? You had a choice. Did you want to go to summer madness? And um, for you guys that are reaching the age where you're going to college next year and the year after that or whatever, you have a choice of what do I want to study? Do I even want to go to college? Do I want to go get a, a job first and, and figure my life out that way? And we all have this freedom of choice and really need it. And the independence to be able to make our own choices that no one's pulling my strings telling me i have to be a counselor that's a decision i'm i'm choosing to pursue that's something i chose to pursue freedom can be really important for someone who's recovering from addiction the idea that i'm now free from from alcohol from drugs and um, to to bring it to a more real thing for i think a lot of people in this room i think a lot of us struggle with um, freedom from social media like how many people find themselves just scrolling through Instagram or Snapchat and seeing what's going on what are other people up to or do you ever leave the house without your phone that's when you realize how dependent you are on your phone if I leave the house without my phone I'm, I'm like how did I survive before <laughs> um, the other two uh, power and significance that one throws a lot of people because they think of like someone trying to be really dominant and overly powerful power and significance is the idea that if you're making a choice that you have the skills to get there that you feel you're empowered to do what you need to do that you've got the training that you've got the capability that you've got all the different things you might need in place and significance is that you get recognized for that that when you're good at something you feel that people value you for it and see you that you're good at it and this one I purposely left till last because for me it's the most important. The idea of we have a need for love and belonging. Um, that I need to feel loved. I need to give love. I need to feel that the people around me I connect with, that I'm engaged with, that I'm not on my own, that I'm not lonely, that I understand where I fit in in my world, in my church, in my youth group, things like that. And what I'm going to get you to do is draw those four tanks out and mark how full each of those tanks are in your life. And just so you know, no one's going to force you to share. So no one's going to make you tell everyone, how are you doing? This is a kind of exercise for you. And then to give you the freedom to discuss it a little bit with the people around you and go as deep as you as you feel safe with at that moment. Um, and Tom made a really good point when I first talked about this. This doesn't have to all be negative. So for instance, if your fun tank is overflowing, great talk about why you feel it's so full and same if one's really empty you can look at that and it's important to have going how do i fill it up but say if you've got your love and belongings marked at three you still marked it at three so what are those things that helps you fill your tank 30 percent of the way what are those few little bits where you find love and belonging um, after that, we're going to let you chat. So fill out the, the sheet of paper, have a chat with those people next to you, as safe as you feel and as comfortable as you feel. And then we're just going to wrap this up in prayer um, and just a final note to send you off. So um, there's pens and stuff out there. We're going to pass more out. We're going to pass paper around amongst you all. Thanks. Okay, guys. Shh. I know it seems like a lot of you are still in the middle of your conversations, but unfortunately, we're just running out of time. Um, we're going to wrap up this seminar, but then also talk about some of the things that are happening later. Um, but I just want to encourage you guys. I realize that in talking about this stuff, for some of you, it could be really triggering or you're opening a door into feelings that you've never thought about before. I just want to encourage you, lean on your team leaders, lean on people that you trust, and don't be afraid to go to one of the leaders in your group and just share about what you're feeling, what might have come up for you in this moment. Um, the other thing is... Yeah, no, I, I am going to wrap up this way. Straight after this seminar, there's actually at quarter past, my wife Susie is leading a seminar. 
based around, woo, yay, <laughs> based around um, art therapy and actually trying to process all that's happened for you guys over this weekend um, through art and through uh, creativity. And it's going to be a really interactive workshop because um, me and Tom, uh, we, we tend to lean a little bit more on conversation and talk and stuff like this. Um, it's going to be really great. But what's going to happen is I'm going to hand off to Tom. He's just going to pray for you guys over everything we've talked about. And then we're going to pass on to Ross, who's going to tell you about some of the stuff happening later. So we've got we, we've ordered ourselves this way intentionally. But thank you so much for listening. It's actually been fantastic to get the opportunity to chat with you guys like this. Okay, let's pray together. God, we thank you for this chance to be together today. And we just pray for, uh, for all the conversations that are taking place even now and the things maybe the things that have been unspoken, but maybe are, are very present or at the forefront of our minds. Um, maybe things that it's big to say and scary to say. And, and I pray that you would maybe even give us opportunity in the last, in the time that remains at Summer Madness, if, if necessary, to actually open up and share either with a friend or a leader. I pray for that courage and confidence that that comes from a place of, of really trusting that we will be heard and um, not just heard in someone listens to our words but heard in a way of actually seen and um, we thank you that that uh, that that doesn't come from from nowhere that the that when someone really hears and sees us it actually comes from from what you've done for us first that we love because you first loved us and that you love us, you see us, you know who we are, and you hear us as your loved children. And so we pray that you would give us courage to share, to love one another well, and to be supportive to each other in the lives that we lead. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Paul. Let's give them one more round of applause. Um, I only caught the second half of that, but I was really encouraged by what you guys did. So thank you so much for sharing this afternoon. Um, so as Paul was saying, in about 15 minutes, Susie's going to be in here for some art therapy. So looking at thank the you for listening to Word on the Go. For more information about the festival or to contact us, please visit us at www.summermadness.co.uk forward slash festival or reach out to us across our social media platforms.